0: Hey, welcome everyone, welcome again to our Genesis podcast number 18, and the reason I know that is because we recorded an intro already, and we screwed it up so bad we had to start over, but we're back, and now I know it was 18, I didn't know then,
1: I know it now. This is Scott, and this is Brad, and our mics are on, (laughs) and this is not about us.
0: All right, so we are back, and Brad's right. Our mics are on this time. Uh, It's too bad you can't hear all of the fun things that happen when we have no idea that bad stuff is going on with our systems. Uh, I think that's more fun. We should just do that, Brad,
1: right? (laughs) Our bloopers are up to like 30-something. If people are interested, I will make a blooper reel. All right, but
0: anyway, let's get this one started off the right way, not just with microphones on, But, uh, Brad, why don't you introduce us in prayer today?
1: Yahweh, as we have just proven, we can't do this without you. We make mistakes. We don't know what to say properly. We, we, We just can't do it because this is not about us. This is about you, and we need your instruction. We need to know what the Spirit wants us to say. We need to know what the Spirit wants us to investigate. So come in. Be here with us now. And as always, I hope and I pray that this glorifies you. This brings you glory. But you, of course, can always glorify yourself in this. So let it not be about us. Let it be all about you, our honored guest. We love you. We cherish you. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you for that. All right. So today we're going to wrap up Genesis chapter 3. And last time, we were talking about, uh, we just did Genesis three twenty and 21. Uh, Adam and Eve have just sinned. Uh, God has given them uh, their chastisements. Uh, and now, Adam calls his wife's name Havah because she was the mother of all living. And Yahweh Elohim made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So that's where we left off. Now we're going to do Genesis 3, 22 through 24 to wrap this up. So really quickly, I'm just going to read the whole thing, and then I'm going to go back. Genesis 3, starting with Genesis 3, 22. And Yahweh Elohim said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat, and live forever, therefore Yahweh Elohim sent him forth from the garden of Eden, to till the earth from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden the cherubim, and the flaming sword which turned every way, to keep the way to the tree of life." So, Genesis 3.22. And Yahweh Elohim said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. Right here, the thing that jumped out at me that I just wanted to mention is, when I was a kid, uh, behold, the man has become as one of us. I always had the idea that God was talking to the angels about this. But the more, you know, as I reread, as I dissect as I just as I go into the Hebrew roots you know I I really feel that God is talking to himself here God the plural God uh is talking Yahweh Elohim we've already talked about Elohim is plural means gods we're talking about the Trinity I really feel that Yahweh God the Father is speaking to Yahweh God the Son and Yahweh God the Holy Spirit I don't know what you think about that Brad but I I feel like you know god is talking to god he's saying he's become as one of us
1: no i'm totally in agreement with that um like you i used to i used to picture this as like he's talking to his throne room so he's talking to the, all of the heavenly body from his throne saying this but no i totally agree he is referring to just the trinity here so that makes me wonder do the rest of the heavenly body the angels the cherubim do they know good and evil i believe they do uh
0: but yeah that's a good question because i i mean lucifer fell and lucifer was an angel uh he boy that's a that's a difficult question that i haven't directly thought of and i should and i probably will when a verse comes up that makes me dig into it but yeah, you're right, do, because the angels are not like us. We are above the angels. We're different. However, they have the ability to fall away, as Lucifer proved. So I right. have to believe they do know right and wrong, and they have the ability to choose. But there is a difference in that they don't have the Spirit of God indwelling within them the way it does with us. Um, so... Boy, you just, there's another topic. Maybe we should go into our conversation with that. Um, I I just don't have an answer for you right now, a definitive answer, but that is an awesome question to ask. Um, but unless you want to, unless you have other thoughts on that, I don't have an answer, so I'm going to move on. The
1: little bit of evidence you've given, yeah, I totally agree. I, I think they do. So it just makes you wonder if it's not important to us to necessarily know then, uh, but i wonder if they had their own version of a fall when they fell and they was their fault also because they their eyes were open and they knew the difference between good and evil who knows but you're right it could be a good topic
0: yeah i that is that brings up so many things in my mind right now that i could go over but that would get me way off topic and it would all just be there'd no research just be this thought and that thought so stop the
1: Stop the presses. Stop the podcast.
0: <laughs> so I'm going to skip that for right now. But the next thing I want to know uh, or want to point out is that God says, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. Just, it, it's fairly obvious right here, but I do think it's important to point out man has not become like God in anything else. Uh God is not saying oh no he's become as us. He's omniscient, he's all powerful. Uh he's saying he has become like us in this specific regard to no good and evil. I have heard a few people take this out of context and say man has become as one of us and and uh, almost like like man is becoming godlike with godlike abilities. And so Yahweh God has to keep him down.
1: Yeah, I've heard people try to say that as well. And that's just where you you have to remember to read the Bible with a humble heart. Mm-hmm. And he's so far above and beyond us. We'll never be like him, but we can we can do our best to represent him, and we can do our right. best to be like him, but we can't fully be like him. So...
0: And the reason I want to bring that up is because there's a, uh, now this isn't an absolute perfect definition, but uh, I want to bring up for a second uh, Satanists versus Luciferian. Now, Brad, do you know what the difference is? Do you know really what a Satan, a Satanist versus a Luciferian, you know what the difference is?
1: No, I guess I don't. I would...
0: So, in a nutshell, and it doesn't have to follow these lines perfectly in every way, but a Satanist, essentially, is someone who says, Satan, uh, ruler of the underworld, death, destruction, you know, hell, murder, rape, fire, torture, I'm on board. Yeah, Uh, Satan is a bad guy. I know it. I want to be part of that. It's just, this is the person who says, let's let's do human sacrifice. Let's do all the evil that we want. Uh, We think Satan's you know, uh, a rock star, and we're going to follow him. A Luciferian is someone who believes that there may be a God who created all, and there, there at least is someone who calls himself a God above all, but Lucifer was not kicked out because he's evil Lucifer was kicked out because he's actually our friend. God is trying to dominate and rule us and and control us. And Lucifer's actually our friend. And Lucifer is the one who's actually trying to help us. A Luciferian is on Satan's side, like a Satanist, but a Luciferian is under the deception that Lucifer's actually the good guy.
1: Gotcha. So yeah, I guess I kind of had an idea about that, but not...
0: And that's one of the reasons i bring it up here is because some people say that this verse is talking about these these luciferians you know it this is kind of the way they see it is god is saying "Uh uh-oh behold man's becoming one of us we've got to keep him down and that's not what's going on here god this is god kicking man out of the garden right now is mercy God knew that if man had access to the tree of life for, in this state, he would live forever. I mean, it says right now, And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life to eat and live forever. So God says, if we let him continue to eat of the tree of life, he's going to live forever. And he's in this sinful, separated state from us there would be less of a need or desire or no need or, of a, or desire to return to God if we could just live forever and be completely selfish. If, we could, if there was no, no penalty for our sin, we could just be evil, hurt each other for the rest of our lives and be completely separated from God in that state. A lot of us, most of us, possibly all of us would not even try to chase Him. Yeah, and I'm reminded of another teaching I heard years ago that talked about the importance of blessing and cursing and being aware of what you're saying because the Bible says that what we bless is blessed in, in, in heaven and what we curse is cursed in heaven so when we bless something that should not be blessed it is blessed and if it's evil it is blessed and if we curse something that should not be cursed, but it's of God's, then a curse is upon that. And we have to be aware of what we're doing and use wisdom and, follow, and and obedience and follow the voice and the will of God. And right here, God understands perfectly. He cannot bless man in this condition by allowing him to continue to eat of the tree of life because that sin, that evil, will be propagated and allowed to continue on for all of eternity. He would have lived. In, he would have lived forever, or living, would have lived forever. <laughs> New word. I just made it up. So something else. Uh, did you have any comments about that, real quick, uh, Brad? No. Before sounds I go good on? to me. Okay. But now something else that just grabbed me here, and I want to throw this at you. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. And then what? It just ends. That sentence ends.
1: Mine literally goes dot, dot, dot.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's a sentence fragment. So it makes me wonder that the sentence doesn't end. It just goes on with Genesis 3.23, therefore Yahweh Elohim sent him forth out of the Garden of Eden, but it doesn't. he doesn't keep speaking. He says, lest this happen... Dot. Yeah, dot, and it just ends. Dot. Your English version said dot, dot, dot to let you know it's not done. Mine just ends, you know, it's got quotation marks around it, but then it, it just ends. It makes me wonder what's going on. Now... Again, we've said before, I'm not fluent in Hebrew, neither is Brad. I am starting to try to learn some very slowly, uh, doubt that I'll ever be fluent and proficient, but I am learning about the language. And I have at least found out they have a very similar grammatic structure that we do. So this doesn't seem, because my one of my first thoughts was, how is how does this look in Hebrew? Is this just translate poorly in English? In Hebrew, is this actually a complete sentence? But... In English, it doesn't work that way because of the translation, but I don't think so. I think in Hebrew, it's the same grammatical structure. So, it makes me wonder, why? What happened here? Uh, I mean, I know it's intentional. God put every letter in place. So, this sentence doesn't finish. And if it's grammatically correct, and there's no English error in the translation... What's the purpose of that? Because God is perfect in his purpose. Why did he stop talking? And I have some thoughts on that, but I want your answer first. Just, you know, what do you think?
1: This makes me think about the mysteries of God. Um, There are some mysteries that God will unveil to us now. There are some mysteries that he's going to keep until we're with him. And there's probably some mysteries that we'll never just, we'll never know. And to me, this feels like, this almost feels like a like a like almost like a tease like he's luring you to seek what was what what comes next what what else okay. was he, what other mystery was he going to unveil here that he didn't that's just so, my off the top thought right now, so it's like uh he left it off so people like us
0: would wonder about it and chase and and go after him in a deeper way so to speak
1: that's what that's the first thought that kind of pops in my head i not a bad thought i did uh i like that i did a i did a study about the the mysteries of god and and they pretty much uh said that there were three types of mysteries and kind of what i just summarized but there'll will, there will always be a mystery that we will there'll will always be something that god has that is his and can only be his. Mm -hmm. We will never be able to have the potential to know. And so it could just be something too, right here, he's going, I can't say that because that is something that can only be known
0: to me. That's interesting. I've never thought of that uh, exactly before. I do know, um, I mean, there are some things we just can't know in our current state. Right. uh, That, and even, I'm not even talking this physical state right here just whatever situation you i and you the listener wherever we are in our lives there are some things god is not going to deal with us oh he's dealing with that person down the street but he's not going to deal with us because we're not there we can't handle it he knows where we are and if we're listening and obeying and following he's going to be guiding us where he knows we need to be right now and so maybe there is something that i i can't teach you that right now uh Maybe there's something, I can't teach you that for the entirety of your life here for a reason, but, but even beyond that, just, I can't, I can't show you right now. Later when you learn something else, you'll be able to handle it. But in fact, I believe, we're getting way off topic right now, uh, I believe Enoch, who was taken by God, uh, I believe he was the only man on earth who has ever just chased God to that extent, where he got to the point where God said, you know what, to move, to move forward with this relationship, you've got to come up here. Enoch was just continually chasing. Uh, I think we all could do that if we were as devoted and chasing that much. I think we decide not to. But again, I'm getting off topic. I need to stop myself. I'm gonna come back to this. I think one of the reasons God stops right here And we've talked about this in other podcasts, where Jesus goes in, opens up the scroll of Isaiah, and he stops in the middle of a sentence. Why? Because what else was coming didn't apply to where he was, but I think that could be part of it. What else is coming has yet to be fulfilled, or something else is going to happen, but but I started thinking about that. Is, is it something that is prophetic? Is, is is not gonna happen here? But then I thought, no, God's kicking them out right now. It made me wonder, because God exists outside of time. God is permanent. God is speaking blessings, cursings. What God says, we've talked about this before. If God says it and says amen, it is. So be it. If you and I say amen, we're saying we agree with that. So be it. We're We're throwing our... Uh, agreement in with that. So did God not finish this sentence because it would have added a permanence to it that couldn't have been undone? So God says, and now, lest he put forth his hand, take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. If he would have said, let's kick him out, let's keep him away from the tree of life, let's not let him eat of it, would we have never had a chance to come back to the tree of life? By him saying it, uh, it, what he did, he doesn't say this. He he stops speaking at this point and just kicks them out. But if he had actually said the words, would that have kept us out permanently?
1: Yeah. Or even worse, if he said amen at this point. <laughs> right. That
0: <laughs> just made me think about that. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to get on... Um, Down here, I'm going to give some some more examples about how I think we have gotten back to the tree of life. Uh, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross got us back to that point where we can have that right now. But I just wonder if that's why he stops talking, because he didn't want to cut that uh, off from us permanently. So I'm going to move on a little bit. Genesis 3.23, next verse, Therefore... Yahweh Elohim sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the earth from whence he was taken. And again, I'm going to go back to thoughts I had years ago when I'm reading this, and I just had this weird feeling that this the this, the way this is this sentence is structured doesn't sound like a punishment. It sounds like a I get the picture of a missionary being sent out. Uh he's sending him forth to till the earth, to to prepare the grounds to I get if Taken out of context of the story that's going on, the way the sentence sounds to me is is more like he's releasing him into the world for the good of the world. You know what I mean? And I wondered why I was getting that and and I, before I move on with that, any thoughts you have on that? Does it sound that way to you, or do you get the same mental image that I do? He sent him forth to till the earth. Sounds almost majestic.
1: Uh, yeah, you're going to go on this adventure. It's not always going to be wonderful and fun, but yeah, you you've got a purpose now. You need to go out and do it, and I'm releasing you to do it. I get yeah. that.
0: Yeah, you you get where I'm coming from yeah. at least. So I started to wonder why. Why does it sound like this to me? And I, I started I dug into this word "sent." Uh, Strong's Concordance number seven nine seven one. It's pronounced "shawlack," and it does mean it, it, it can mean to send away like get out of here it can mean to send for you know go fetch me something it can mean to send out you know like i'm sending you on a mission on a, on a journey now in this sense it can mean to cast away to cast out to forsake to push away but it can also mean to stretch forth to let depart, to reach forth for something. And it can also mean, and I find it interesting because he says, uh, he sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the earth. It can also mean sow.
1: Oh, okay.
0: And I found that interesting because I I looked it up. Now, uh, again, for those of you who are following along with me and have listened to all my other podcasts, you know I'm using the Hebraic Roots version. But the HRV the NAS, and I forget, that's the New American Standard? Is that what the NAS stands for? Yes. Okay. And the, the KJV, the King James Version, they all use the same word, sent. But the NIV, and that's the New International Version?
1: Yes, okay. or the Nearly
0: Inspired Version. <laughs> and the NLT, which I believe, I don't know what that one.
1: New Living Translation. Uh, okay, New Living new, Translation? I'm pretty sure.
0: Okay. But those two both use the word banished. That's much harsher penalty. Yeah, And we do see as we go on, Genesis 3.24 says, So he drove out the man. So this is obviously a situation where he's kicking man out. But I started to wonder, is sent the right word? And and guys, I'm going to tell you, this is just really a gut feeling on my part. This is just me growing as a person and everything we've been studying from Genesis 1-1 to this point, and just kind of relearning Genesis and, and going deep, I think it's a little bit of both. I think, I just get the feeling like this is a picture, yes, Adam's in trouble, and Adam's being punished, but God still understands the entire story. And Someone told me one time that we can never disappoint God because he knows everything. He knows everything we're going to do. And I understand the sentiment. I disagree. We can break his heart.
1: I think so We can
0: cause him pain. But I get what he's talking about in that we can't do anything to catch him by surprise. Right. In other words, God knew the entire plan. And in one sense, I do see this statement as prophetic. I'm sending you out. Not just Adam, but you, Brad, and you, listener, and, and me, and everyone. God sent him forth from the garden to till the earth from where he came. This is in a piece, a, a sense of, guys, you've got a mission. It's a lousy mission because of what Adam did. And this is a punishment in the sense that you can't live in my divine, holy presence anymore. But there are people hurting. There is soil to till. You've got to go out and you've got to do it. Uh, I think it's a part of that. Not, not entirely. I'm starting to see all of this is not so much, because I, I admit, I was like most other people. I saw this whole Genesis story kicking people out as, as God going, you did what? Oh, that's it. Get out of my sight. I'm sick of you. I saw a, a, a great focus on that. The more we read this, and, and as we've done these podcasts, all of us together, I get the greater sense of God knew this was going to happen. The whole plan was set up from the beginning to save us, to rescue us. This, I see, as God knew this day would come, and it's yeah. breaking his heart, and and this is all mercy and love in the separation.
1: Well, your word study... Uh, you said it can also mean reaching out. So mm-hmm. he's sending them out, but he's also reaching out for us. Yeah. You're getting both parallels there. So yes, we yes, you, it's a loving father. Y, y, I have to send you out. This is your punishment. Mm-hmm. But he's never far away. He's still yeah. reaching out for us. Exactly. You
0: did this to yourself, but I'm not letting you go. Um, also, and you talked about word picture. Let me get in to the word picture for scent that I got here and it is sheen lamed chet and again i i'm i'm trying to learn hebrew now and i'm i'm learning uh, proper pronunciation so hopefully i'm getting closer and closer i used to pronounce this chet uh, I, I think from what i'm understanding it's more of a chet. Uh, almost like a, they 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 described it as like the german C-H, as in like Bach.
1: You yeah, know. you got to have a little spit when you do Yeah, it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you do. So it's more like hit. I uh, Side note, but I have taken a little bit of a break, but I, for better part of a year, was also doing some, uh, trying to learn some Hebrew. So eventually, maybe like <laughs> 30 years down the road, Scott, we'll actually be able to do a Hebrew May podcast. Possibly. That. <laughs> you know,
0: you never know. But these these letters together, the an interpretation I came away with to urge away from destruction and towards protection. Uh, You know, that that just spoke to me, this whole scent. It is, is, yes, Adam screwed up and God has to send him out. But as we've talked about it before, I think the separation is mercy from God. Not letting Adam remain in God's manifest presence is keeping him alive. Not letting him continue to go to the tree of life is keeping him seeking God, keeping him continually wanting to get back to that loving relationship. I, I I'm beginning to see more and more of this as not so much you screwed up, get lost, as 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 a brokenhearted father saying, You screwed up, yes. I knew this day would come and this is painful for me. But don't worry. I've still got you. This is this is part of the plan. I'm going to redeem you. This is going to be made right.
1: And maybe he maybe that helps explain why 22 doesn't have a full ending mm-hmm. to the quote. Maybe because God knows that uh if he doesn't do this, if he doesn't give us this mercy, he knows that he would have to do something Mm-hmm. Worse or drastic or whatever yeah. I don't know he only he knows, but that might help shine a little evidence on that too
0: and now another thing I want to point out here he sent him out to till the earth. We've talked about this in previous podcasts that the seed the certain that the herbs of the field had not come up because you remember this conversation, Brad, there was no rain, and there was no not man. a man yet to till the earth. now he sent them out to till the earth uh, so this is why I feel you know I think rain started closely after this, and along those lines uh have you've seen the Passion of the Christ, have you not? Oh yes, one of the most awesome scenes in that one and and it just gets me this day i'm I'm gonna try hard not to break up, but uh when Jesus is dead on the cross, and the camera just zooms up into the heavens and it's looking from down below and suddenly it gets very, very blurry and the camera itself gets extremely blurry and you're wondering what's going on and suddenly you realize there's water on the camera lens and that water falls off and a single drop and it's just that image of putting you in the place of God who starts to cry and and I know this is poetic and I'm not saying it's true to life, it's true to what happened, but it just feels like now rain started once man fell. And, and I just want to throw that out there for the poetry of it, if nothing else. I'm not, not trying to claim that's what happened. Man fell, so God started to cry, and that created the rain. That's not what I'm saying, but there is just a beautiful image here of this is when rain began. Wow. So, again, not saying that is, that's what happened. You know, I'm not trying to claim that. It's just a a pretty picture. Or at least, maybe not pretty, but, but beautiful and caring. So now we get to Genesis 3.24. So he drove out the man. And he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every way, to keep the way to the tree of life. So I'm going to give you, first, I'm going to throw out questions that I had about this years ago. And then I'm going to get into the answers to those questions. But my first thought reading this years ago was God drives out the man. Maybe not my first thought, but a thought. God drives out the man, but then he places a sword at the east of the garden to keep him out. Now, first of all, I was like, how could that keep him out? Because I was like, why couldn't man just enter the garden from the west or from the north or from, you know, from another direction? Why did God putting a guard and a sword at the east keep man out? I mean, imagine a 360-degree picture, Eden right in the middle, uh, and you just put one little piece of... Uh, of defensive measures just to immediately to the right of that looking at it from a bird's eye view and I'm thinking there's 359 other degrees why can't he just enter from that direction I so I couldn't figure this out and also why the east you know why did he place it at the east It also says the flaming sword turns every way, but it doesn't say, it doesn't even insinuate that that sword covers every direction. It specifies the east. Why? How is that the entrance to the garden? What meaning does this have? So again, as I've said before, it's very good to study your Bible and ask these questions and honestly say, I have no idea. I don't know what the answer is. And to keep moving the answers will either come to you later or God will determine. You don't need that answer right now. Whatever it is, it's totally legitimate to say, I have no idea what the answer is, and keep going. But now, before I get into some of my answers and some of the things I've come up with, Brad, do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Nothing concrete. This is coming to me. These thoughts are coming to me for the first time. But uh, East and West are kind of used to um. Explain eternity You go as far west as you can And you go as far east as you can And you, you just will go on forever and ever mm-hmm. So by cutting off The east We're being cut off from That That direction of eternity But we still have the other direction That's a good thought So it makes me wonder if this is a This is a your your eternity is cut off here, seek the other way I like that that's just what's popping in my head right this moment just being caught off guard okay
0: wow no that's good I, I i do appreciate it that's gonna uh kinda tap into what I'm gonna talk about here, but not exactly. I do appreciate that thought like like almost like man had eternity with God, so got man before he sinned, was an eternal being living outside of time like God, and it's almost like God is saying, that part of you has now become the past. You've got to move into your eternal future. Yeah. Is kind of what you're saying? Yeah, something along that, yeah. Instead of having eternity existing outside of time, that now becomes past for you. Because I I did hear one person uh, that I was talking with years ago uh, a gentleman who said that when we sinned, he, he this is the way he said it too. He said we existed outside of time. When when we sinned, God had to trap us within time, because if we, as eternal beings, as as existing out of time, still had our sin, that sin would permeate all of eternity. Two, he had to trap the sin within a timeline that where it could be destroyed eventually. And I thought that was—I wonder if that's kind of what you're talking about here, in the sense that, yeah, uh, he had to essentially give man's beginning a beginning. He had to say, "Okay, that I'm keeping. That has now become your past. Uh, we're we're starting from this point and moving forward." to keep your sin away from everything else.
1: Yeah, which once again, another mercy of God. Exactly. We can't just continue for eternity with our sin. Uh, how tragic would that be? Uh huh. So he created a situation where the sin can run its course, and it can be worked out of us, uh-huh. and then we can rejoin him in an eternal state later. I, that's cool. Okay, so now
0: let me get into a few of these words East, we've done before, and I'm sure you remember this. It's Kedem or Kedma, and it refers to uh, eternity, either eternity forward or specifically eternity past, uh, relatively the East, a foretime, ancient time. But another thing I want to point out here, because, because of what you just said, is East is also the front of a place or time. And we've talked about this before, but they're just pointing that out right here. Absolutely the forepart, the very beginning, the front of something. And that is, you know, it's almost like he it's almost like he gave us a new beginning. Yeah, okay, you're gonna start here. Um and the word picture. Now I'm gonna I just realized as I was going over this, we've talked about East and it's meaning before twice in two different podcasts. I've never done the word picture. I just realized that. Kof, dalet mem, hey. And the interpretation I came up with is becoming the least to reveal the pathway towards water. And I thought of this as Jesus saying, I'm going to be your beginning. I am your new start. Now, I'm just going to keep going unless you throw it. Brad, you want to say something about that? Go for it. I was going to say I'm just going to keep going with some of these words and kind of try to wrap them all up at the at the end here. Uh, but you feel free to jump in anytime. Now, Cherubim or Cherubim, Strong's Concordance, number 3742, and uh, it's pronounced Kerub. Now this one it literally means cherub, so it had no other real meaning. So you know, cherub. You know, it's pretty pretty obvious. It was just a one to one translation, like some of them are. But the word picture here: kaf resh, vav bet. An interpretation I came up with. Well, there were a couple of them. One right here. And in reference to this story, uh, a word picture said halting Adam from joining with the household, which made sense. Yeah, but cherubim aren't only here at this picture. They they're they're much greater. Uh, I, they have a greater part of the story. They're they're with God throughout eternity. And there's also a picture here lifting up the nailed Yeshua for the household wow again talking about even in the beginning we can see the end uh, even in this very first part where man's being punished for his sin we can still see god's redemptive plan in the middle of this and then sword i looked up sword and this was interesting to me because it's strong's concordance number 2719 kereb and which which sounded almost like the cherub so the ch, the cherub was the cherub kereb is the sword and and they they sounded very similar they are spelled a little differently but i, I, I was wondering there too if there is isn't a similarity for a reason but this is interesting it means drought yeah so the the word for sword means drought now it goes on to say also means a cutting instrument such as a knife or sword or other sharp cutting instrument and the reason is is because this comes from the drought's destructive effect yeah so that's why these cutting instruments also have this name because they're they're associated it's like the the destructive effect effect of a drought is being associated with these sharp instruments so I thought that was fascinating. That is
1: fascinating.
0: And so it does not have to mean sword. It's just any cutting instrument. But they translated sword here. But I thought about that too. It, it means what's going on here is not necessarily a sword, just any type of sharp instrument that is destructive. Yeah. So the word picture here for sword, let me get into that. Kereb uh, is ket resh uh, bet. And the possible interpretation I came up with was the protection of the house of Yeshua. And I liked that image because, again, uh, more than just this picture right here for what's going on, but the sword of the Spirit being the Word of God, uh, I just saw that as the picture of a sword is the protection of his house. (laughs) <laughs> and in case you haven't noticed, we've got some dog friends back again. We'll keep going. Uh, and then, so I looked up flaming. It's a flaming sword, and I want to know what this meant. And it's Strong's Concordance number 3858, La Hat. And it means ablaze or flaming, but it also means magic or enchantment. And I saw that as as referring to the fact that this right here is a spiritual force going on. Uh, this is not necessarily a fire that we're seeing, but it has the effects of a fire. And I thought of Moses in the burning bush and, and realizing that that was the power of God, the Spirit of God coming as a flame, and the, the, the flaming tongues that lit upon the disciples uh, on Shavuot or Pentecost. And this isn't necessarily a fire that's happening, but this is the Spirit of God on this sword, a flaming sword. So I saw this as a spiritual force going on right here.
1: Yeah, flames and fire are used all throughout the Bible to Mm -hmm. show power of God.
0: Yeah, so it can appear to be like a fire, but I don't necessarily know that this is a, a literal fire the way we think of it.
1: The fire that doesn't burn up. Right.
0: And the word picture here for lahat, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, La med hey, and tit. And the possible interpretation I came up with was teaching that reveals the snake. And that just stood in line with the fire as the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit being our teacher, uh, that fire that indwells within us, and, and the fact that we can't know anything without the Holy Spirit, and it was, it was the teaching that reveals who the snake is. It reveals where the snake is in our lives. So I combine with all of these words, I want to go back to something else we had defined in a previous study about the garden, and that the word garden, as defined, means a fenced area. So I had this idea years ago that the garden is just this big, lush, fruitful area. You can get in from any direction, as we were talking about before. And I realized from our previous studies, no, the garden is protected. The garden is a defined area, a fenced area. So by placing the sword at the east and saying that kept man from getting in, that was defining The way is narrow you can't just get in from any direction the tree of life does have limited access it can only be reached by one vantage point everything else is sealed off and this made me think too of uh i'm i'm sure you're aware of this uh michael rude uh saying years ago that we were studying but he talked about the torah uh, as defined as a fence to protect you know, every, and as long as you stay inside the fence, you're protected. And, and uh, if you go outside the fence, you're outside my protection, you're outside the protection of the Torah, then the wolves can get you. And the prophets would come in and say, everyone stay inside the fence. And as Michael Rood is talking about he's joking around, and he looks around and suddenly realizes, in fact, nobody's in the fence. Everybody, get back into the fence. <laughs> right. uh, get back inside the fence, or else... And that I had this image here of the garden is inside the fence and there's only one way in and that's where he put the cherubim and the sword or not necessarily the sword the cutting instrument and i always pictured when people talked about the the road is narrow to god and i always pictured it as starting from me and you know imagine and, and I agree with this sentiment, but people told me you got to keep your eyes on Jesus and he's right there. Satan just wants to get you off. He doesn't have to get you 180 degrees and running around. He can just get you a little ways off either direction. And if you're heading that direction, you're not heading for God. And the, the longer you head that direction, the further and further away you're getting from God. But I never thought about it as coming from the end point too. I mean, think about the garden the, from a bird's eye view. It's 360 degrees around. I think I said 365 degrees earlier. Uh, Probably messed that up. But uh, 360 degrees around, and there's only one degree. There's one path. Every other degree, if you think about it that way, is wrong. There's only one path that leads you to that point. I'd never thought about it that way before either. I always—I don't know about you. I always thought the path starts with me.
1: Yeah, well, we've kind of talked about that in previous podcasts about how God has a perfect path for you to walk in your life, and how if we could actually see the path we've taken, it would be all wibbly wobbly. Yes. <laughs> so this just is giving more credit to that kind of idea. But Jesus Himself said that the. Uh, The path through the gate was narrow.
0: Narrow, definitely. And I think this is a picture of that. The The more I read this, and I want to go to a couple other things. We talked about it briefly. East, there is a beginning. There is a starting point. There is an entrance. And Jesus is that entrance. Yeshua himself restored this path back to the tree of life. We can have access to it right now. And I want to go over a couple things to reinforce that. And Brad, I'm going to jump into your territory here. I'm going to go into Revelation real quick. Go for it. Revelation 2-7. Now this is in the middle of the... He's talking to the seven churches and the very first church, Ephesus. After he gets through talking to them, he says... uh, at the end of every church, he says, to he that overcomes, here's a benefit. And this is the very first church. And I think they're in order for a reason. He, that, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the assemblies. And to him who overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life that which is in the pardes, which translates paradise, of Eloah. And I believe that's first for a reason. Because Jesus came to give us life. And if if you just accept that gift of salvation, you have eternal life. You can eat of the tree of life forever. If you go nowhere else and do not move further on with God, he is faithful and just and has given you eternal life. Now there's further on to go, which Brad's gonna get into in his revelation study, But we see right here, to him who overcomes, he will give to eat of the tree of life. So Adam, who was kicked out, Jesus brought us back and he gave it back to us. We have access to it right now. And I'm going to go back in and talk about something else here in Revelation 1, 13 through 16. And it gives a picture of Jesus. And in the middle of the menorahs, The king james version says candles candlesticks was one like the form of a son of man and clothed with an ephod and girded at his breasts with a girdle of gold now his head and his hair white like wool and like snow and his eyes like a flame of fire and his feet in the form of the brass of lebanon that is burned in the furnace and his voice was like the voice of many waters, and he had in his right hand seven stars, and a sharp spear came out of his mouth. The Hebraic Roots version says spear, where the King James says sword. And his appearance was like the sun exhibiting its power. Now, I want to point out something here. In that, the reason I bring that up is because right here we have a flaming sword. Guarding the entrance and we've talked about how Jesus being the entrance and in this picture of Jesus. We see fire his eyes like fire his his feet as if they burned in a furnace Uh, his appearance like the sun and also out of his mouth comes this sharp this says spear King James says sword. I want to point out something real quick and that in the Hebraic roots version they have a note here where why they translated it spear. And they say the original manuscript here says rucha, which means spirit. And they believe, as as the King James Version, the other translators believed, that the scribe likely inadvertently omitted the letter Mem from Rumcha, spear, which is why they translated he has sevens and a sharp spear came out of his mouth. But I wondered, did they, the people translating this, assume that an error was made in the original manuscript that they have? What if it? What if it's not? What if it's the Spirit came out of his mouth? What if this is talking about the Holy Spirit being released from Jesus?
1: Yeah, it no, makes way more sense anyway. And that leads me back to the fact
0: that this flaming sword or this flaming sharp object being spiritual in nature being the holy spirit uh cutting us off and that's why i pointed that out i don't know what you think
1: no i'm just fascinated by that
0: the last thing i want to end up with is a quote from the final quest which we've mentioned before it's a book by rick joiner and, and it kind of goes into just a, a picture of what I was talking about with uh, we now have access to the tree of life. And in this part of the story, they have been fighting in God's army. They've been fighting on the mountain of God and they've been climbing the mountain. And when they reached the top, this is what it says, quote, almost without warning, we came to a level that opened up into a garden. It was the most beautiful place I had ever seen. Over the entrance to this garden was written, The Father's Unconditional Love. This entrance was so glorious and inviting that we could not resist entering. As soon as I entered the garden, I saw a tree that I knew was the tree of life. It was in the middle of this garden, and it was still guarded by angels of awesome power and authority. When I looked at them, they looked back. They seemed friendly as if they had been expecting us. I looked back and there was now a host of other warriors in the garden. This gave us all courage and because of the angel's demeanor, we decided to pass them to get to the tree. One of the angels called out, those who make it to this level know the father's love and can eat of the tree, I really think this is what's going on here. Adam got kicked out because of his sin. He's banished. Because his sin can't connect with eternal life, and God doesn't want the sin to live forever. But once Jesus removed our sin individually, we have access to it with the Holy Spirit. The very Spirit that is defending the tree now grants us access. Because the sin has been removed, we now have access to eternal life again.
1: I like that. That's a beautiful picture, Scott.
0: Is this a good time to wrap it up? We've finished Genesis 3. We'll be moving on to Genesis 4 next time.
1: Awesome. <laughs> All right.
0: Well, then let's go ahead and just
1: say, as always, this is Scott. And this is Brad. And this has Ben. Not About Us.